Welcome one more time to City Life. Uh, I got a little taste. Give it up. I got a little taste in the 3.30 service, but let me tell you, it is good to be preaching more to more than just the lens on a camera, right? Some of y'all, I can't see your mouth. I can't see your nose, but we don't worry about nose contact. I can make eye contact with flesh and blood as I preach tonight. So I'm excited because the verse I've come to again and again uh, during our time apart, it's in 2 John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. And let me tell you, I felt that on a soul level, right? Because what is he saying? He's saying, look, technology is great. The fact he could write all those letters is great. They literally became a part of a Bible. So thank goodness for the technology they had then. Thank goodness for the technology we have now. But there's nothing like face to face, heart to heart, worshiping together, gathering in God's presence like we are tonight. And we're back. Sort of, right? Uh, it's not completely like it was before. We're wearing masks, we're distanced, half the pews are closed, but we've also come back one church in one location rather than one church that had been two locations. So let me give a shout out and send love to everybody that came from the other side of the water to be with us tonight, making this journey with us. <clears throat> journey forward is city life. Still the same family, still the same DNA, still the same home with the same heart. We just got a new house. And these digs, let me tell you, are pretty nice. So it's, it's going to be a great journey ahead of us. And yet it's not quite a full family reunion, right? We're meeting at half capacity. Many will understandably stay home for a season for many, a myriad of valid reasons. And if you're watching online tonight, I love you, we love you, and we hope to meet with you face to face again soon. But no matter who you are, no matter where you are, what we like to say here at City Life, our vision is that we're going to build the church Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. But let me tell you, we as a culture, we as a church, we as a nation, we as a world are coming out of a, a wild and crazy season. And when you say that we're going to build the church Jesus envisioned and love the world he died to save, it, it might even look different, feel different coming off your tongue. Because I, in recent weeks, I've read articles about the recalibration of the church. Or, or, or another one was titled, The Reshaping of the Post-Pandemic Church. And they're all asking similar questions. What's the new normal? What's gonna shift? What's gonna change? What stays the same? I, I feel like the whole church has a sense of what Fred preached at the beginning of April, where he said massive historic shifts, like the one we're in in our culture, they're often prophetic of shifts that need to happen in us. So we've seen even a shift in, in city life, but we also, I feel like the church as a whole in America is feeling a shift happening in the church, certainly in light of everything that's happened the past months, even this week. So the title of this sermon tonight is Take It Outside. Take It Outside. And we're going to read from Romans 11. It's verses 13 through 14 and then verse 32. And it's in the message version. But in Romans 11, starting in verse 13, Paul says, my personal assignment is focused on the so-called outsiders. I make as much of this as I can when I'm among my Israelite kin, the so-called insiders, hoping they'll realize what they're missing and want to get in on what God is doing. Then in verse 32, it says, in one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside so that he can personally open the door and welcome us back in. But before we go further, let's pray. God, we want to, like this passage said, we want to get in on all you are doing. 
And God, we know that we're coming out of a season, God, outside of this building. And I pray that as this passage says, God, that you would show us maybe what we've been missing. Show us what what steps forward you have for us. And as individuals, Holy Spirit, we give you permission. What needs to shift, what needs to be healed, what needs to be shaped, shape us, mold us, heal us, and, and ultimately use us to build the church Christ envisioned and to love the world he died to save. We can all say amen. So Romans, this passage that we just read, it was written on Paul's third missionary journey at about 57 AD. You talk about shifts in the church, massive changes in the church. The church at this time had just experienced that. God had taken a religious system that was centered on the temple and focused on his people, the Jews. And he had blown the door wide open for the Gentiles. Circumcision no longer mattered. Bloodline no longer mattered. Under and through the blood of Jesus Christ, everyone had equal access to God, equally called and could worship God the same. So the message version of Romans 11, it's speaking to this truth. So if you're reading another translation, what says insider and outsider here may read Jew and Gentile. And yet I believe that the terms that Eugene Peterson uses in the message translation, that it paints a prophetic picture for what just happened and what we feel shifting in this season that we've been in outside of this church building. Because again, he says, in one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside so that he can personally open the door and welcome us back in. You know, reading these words, I couldn't help but think that the church has been ushered outside those four walls so that we can, as it says in this passage, realize what we've been missing and make the necessary shifts as we come back. You know, like Pastor Fred preached again in April, same sermon. God doesn't have to initiate something in order to use something, right? That's, that's part of his sovereignty. And we just saying, like, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. And I just believe that he is turning this season, he's using this season in the church to, to shift things, to awaken questions like, what's the new normal for the church? What in the church is being recalibrated, redefined, and what is timeless and never changes? And tonight I don't offer up revolutionary recalibrations as much as a return to what we have here. And one of my favorite verses in there about the church, it's in Ephesians 1, where it says, at the center of all this, the center of everything going on at your home, the center of everything going on in our culture, at the center of everything going on in our world, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. So I read that and I know if I want to follow Christ, I'm going to follow him into the church. Why wouldn't I? If I'm following Christ, I want to be where he rules, where he speaks and he acts and he fills everything with his presence. There's a power in gathering. There's life to gathering. That's why we've missed it in this season. And that's another sermon for another time. But the image from this verse that's so key tonight is these five words. The church is Christ's body. It's the same analogy Pastor Fred pulled from in 1 Corinthians 12 last weekend when he preached that powerful sermon about how to find your home in the church, the body of Christ. And no, we're not in a series, but I believe God has us parked here so we can continue to impart from just this picture of the body of Christ, especially in the season we're in. And I want to dig in with this analogy, but first hear this, because if you hear nothing else, I believe this is what the Holy Spirit put on my heart for tonight. 
Because we've been in this series of, of coronavirus, COVID-19, not able to meet in church, not able to go to places we want to, uh, quarantined, sheltered in place, socially distanced. Like how many of you guys have just felt that itch, I got to get out? I got to get out. Who's felt those moments that, that are like borderline claustrophobic, right? even disorienting? Like who can't wait to hug somebody? Yes, Jamal, I can't wait to hug you, bro. <laughs> but how many, or like Steph is here, this service. How many moms have the same desire that Steph has had to have face-to-face interaction during the day that isn't with your four-year-old, right? To just get out. And these are all valid feelings in this season. So hold on to those feelings, right? Cling to them as, as we continue for a second, because if the church is the body of Christ, it has been living sheltered in place, quarantined in our comfort zones, and socially distanced from the world that Jesus died to save for far too long. And Jesus would say what you felt for a couple months in the four walls of your home, I've been feeling for years and decades in the American church as I've been socially distanced or sheltered in place behind those four walls, the four walls of our comfort zone. You know when the churches had to shut their doors and we had to shut our doors and so many people were posting, some of you were posting, right? The church isn't closed because the church isn't a building. It's people, right? Amen. That's good, right? Other posts read, the gospel can't be quarantined. This is true. And yet when we could gather, too often the good news was sheltered in place. And the body of Christ was content to stay in the proverbial house confined by the four walls of our comfort zones. And maybe you would say I'm overstating things, like chill. But in a report released about a year ago, the Barner Group found that 51% of people that attend church in the United States were unfamiliar with the term, the Great Commission. 51% of the church attendees were just unfamiliar with the Great Commission. And it gets worse because the other 49% like didn't have it locked and loaded, memorized and ready to roll with it. From there, 25% of respondents said they'd heard of it but couldn't recall its exact meaning. Only 17% knew it and could tell you its significance. I mean, we gasp, we say, wow, we think, what a bunch of lazy fools, right? But let's get real. How good is it if you know it, but you're not doing it, right? Like, like when you tell your kids, I can't wait till I can tell Roger to pick up his toys, right? When you tell your kids, pick up your toys, put away your laundry, whatever it is, you don't want them to just memorize it, right? Maybe say it back to you in the Hebrew and the, and the original Greek, right? No, no, no. You want them to do it. And it's the same with the Great Commission. How good is it to know it? if we're not doing it. And again, the frustration that you felt for months as you've been quarantined in the four walls of your home, I don't doubt that Jesus has felt for years, decades, here in the American church as as his gospel, his body, us, has remained sheltered in place. It says in one way or another, in that passage we opened with, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside. Why? Because that's where Jesus was. I mean, we should definitely consider if we are the body of Christ, where do we find the body of Christ, the flesh and blood body of Christ when he was walking the earth in the Gospels? And I don't remember where I read this for the first time, but I've quoted it so much it's up here and you can start attributing it to me. But uh, there are 112 encounters that Jesus has in the Gospel with people that are recorded. Out of those 112, 10 happen in the temple in their church. Every other encounter, those 102 encounters happen outside those four walls. And I believe God is calling us outside again to take this outside. I believe God used this time to usher us back outside the four walls of a building 
to remind us that we aren't just called to a building, we're called to build. Not just a, a building the noun, but building the verb. We're called to build the church, and that church should build the kingdom of God. Like we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And that takes work not just here, it takes work outside these four walls. Yeah, we're absolutely called to gather. But one reason we gather is so that we can be better equipped to go. I mean, the Great Commission starts with what word? Go. And when we don't, God isn't going to be contained. And he can scatter us. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, to his freshly commissioned church. He says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, right, their hometown, in Judea and Samaria, the regions beyond, and then to the ends of the earth. But as we read Acts, we, we realize that there's a problem. Because you get eight chapters into the book, and you realize that, that God's people that were called to take the good news from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, they're still parked in Jerusalem. They're still sheltered in Jerusalem. And then we see in Acts chapter 8 a massive persecution at the hands of Saul. It says in Acts 8, 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And the very next verse, immediately we see that their scattering was being used by God. It says, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Again, God doesn't need to initiate it to redeem it. He can take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. And in his providence, he can use that discomfort and that poking and prodding to get us moving again. And it doesn't just happen here. As far as Acts 11 verse 19, we still see uh, Luke referencing ministry being done by those who had been scattered by the persecution. And I believe that God, praise God, we're not being persecuted in that way, but he can use this pandemic in the same way. This season where we've been outside of the four walls of this church and, and not able to meet in this building to remind us of the work that's to be done out there. It's where the Great Commission sends us. Again, we gather, but we gather to be equipped for the work of ministry. And maybe you'd shout, man, you feel excited. Let's go be God's hands and feet, right? And, and I would applaud that. I got no qualms with that statement. But again, let's come back to the idea of the body of Christ, especially in 1 Corinthians 12. Because in the analogy of the body of Christ, we're each one part, not another. We're not all this body part and another. Paul says himself how strange it would be if it was all one part. All right, it wouldn't just be unhealthy, it'd be dead. We need the body in its totality and its unity. But gathering is as important as going because it's a group project that takes the unity of the church to move forward and truly build the kingdom. The hand can't go anywhere without the feet, and the feet can't run anywhere to proclaim the good news without the heart pumping blood to them. We need a healthy body working in unity with each other to effectively walk out the Great Commission. So it begs the question, and this is where I want to park it for the rest of the evening, is our body healthy? So let's give it a three-point inspection from 1 Corinthians 12. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, that the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. This speaks to an important truth, that a healthy body will have unity. We need unity with our different body parts to be healthy. And unity doesn't exist within uniformity. A body consisting of one organ, again, it'd be dead. We need 
all the different organs to be a living organism. And that's what we're called to be. And this is why Paul wastes no time before touching on diversity. In verse 14, he says, the body has many different parts, not just one part. See, a healthy body will have diversity. This is a beautiful thing in the church. This is a beautiful thing in the body of Christ. Because we have diversity here, there is a, a, a wealth of wisdom that we can pull from. Like Anthony sitting right there, audibles like 20 books a week. Let me be honest, with Raj, this season of life, I'm not reading 20 books a week, so I just tap into the wisdom that he's, he's like drinking up like a fountain. There is a wealth of wisdom in a diverse church. Right? And when you read the Old Testament, you realize the treasure that wisdom is. You realize how great that is. But in the same way, the body of Christ is a wealth of experiences and perspectives. And the same way I need to hear from people who have the wisdom I need, I need to hear from people who have different perspectives, different life experiences. Because on my own, my perspective is narrow. It's not necessarily even wrong. It's just a narrow perspective based on just my perspective. I lack the experience and perspective of a single mother. I lack the experience and perspective of, of a war veteran. I lack the experience and perspective of somebody who's been adopted or the experience and perspective of somebody who grew up in either extreme poverty or extreme wealth. You know what I also lack is the experience of a police officer who wakes up every day to serve and protect, inspired by the command of Jesus to, to love my neighbor and I seek to do it well. And then weeks like this one, just cast a shadow because some don't. You know, I also lack the experience of, of an African-American male, right? Like the, the friend I called this week who told me I hugged my wife a little tighter this morning. I hugged my kids a little longer this morning because I was reminded again that there are people that look like me whose life will get snuffed out before they ever get a chance to do that again. You know, the experience for many of our own brothers and sisters, African-American brothers and sisters over the last weeks has been traumatic. It's been trauma. Repeated losses of life brought to light, added to a, a, a seemingly never-ending list of hashtags. And that's trauma. That's tiring. That hurts. That's why a healthy body doesn't just need unity and diversity. For a body to have diversity, for diversity to even exist, empathy is a requirement. That's why Paul says in verse 26 of the body of Christ, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Steph and I got some experience with this because uh, I don't know if you know us. We're, we're new-ish here. We've been in part of city life for years. But if you don't know, Steph's got a, a brain malformation. That affects her whole body. And then what's, what's even wilder is uh, <laughs> we adopted our son from India, other side of the world, billions of people in that nation. And then we found out recently he's got the exact same rare brain malformation. Right, that's an entire sermon for another time about how, you know, we would pray for the miracle of healing. And yet God still worked a miracle bringing him to our family in a way that we can advocate for him. It's, it's crazy. Right. Again, we would pray for the miracle of healing. God's still working miracles if we'll look for him. So you could guess we have a lot of appointments, medical appointments. The one we have Tuesday at VCU is with a neurosurgeon, right? Because I don't know if you know, uh, the brain's a big deal. It's, <laughs> it is important. Your brain matters. So we go to a neurosurgeon, people who focus on the brain because my son's brain is hurting him. 
We don't go to other surgeons that do surgery on other parts of his body, right? Because he didn't have a problem there, right? Is it because those organs don't matter? No, none of us would, would think that. We do all this because his brain is hurting him. And yet in the body of Christ, when one part of the body is hurting, rather than walking in step with verse 26, often there are people within the, the same body who would say the equivalent of, well, all body parts matter. Right, and, and, and somebody, it, that's as helpful as somebody coming to me while we're researching uh, neurosurgeons and brain surgery and them coming up to me like, hey, bro, it's all right. All of Raj's body parts matter. All, right, all of his organs matter. That wouldn't, I'd say thank you for nothing. That, that wouldn't be helpful in the least. Matter of fact, it wouldn't just not be helpful, it's hurtful. Because it, it, it takes Raj's very real pain and minimizes it. And it takes our focus on that pain and treats it as irrational rather than loving. You know, I think of Eugene Peterson and how in his book, Working the Angles, I read it last year, it's on the work of, of the pastor. And I love it. It's not rocket science. The, the three angles are the word, prayer, and discipleship. And in that book, he talks about how the work of the pastor is to help people put a name on the things they're wrestling with spiritually put a name on, on the issues that they're wrestling with. I also think of Bishop Desmond Tutu and the work that the Truth and Reconciliation Movement did in South Africa. How the, one of the first steps is you have to name the problem, name the hurt, and recognize that before moving forward. So let me put a name on an issue that we too often tiptoe around in the church, and it's racism. Using the same analogy of the body found in 1 Corinthians 12, America has long looked down on those body parts that it deems lesser, and then it treats them as lesser. Now, some who hear me say that will become politicized rather than empathized. We retreat to our corners, right? The paradigms that we've been fed of us versus them, rather than the, the perspective and paradigm of Jesus, which is me for them, that the church should walk in of us for them. We, the body of Christ, need to grasp that Jesus, the same Jesus who said to love your neighbor, love your enemy, love the least of these, there's nobody we're not called to love. He would have wept over George Floyd's death and every other name that became a hashtag before. It would have pained him. So my question, the question I ask, does it pain the body of Christ, his church? Are all the parts suffering when one part suffers or are we divided? You know, spiritually, the, the American church in 2020, man, it's got the disease that was so common when Jesus walked the other side of the earth some 2,000 years ago. That disease was leprosy, right? The, the, the body of Christ spiritually in America has leprosy. Leprosy, when Jesus walked the earth, it wasn't well understood. People were cast into leper colonies. They were deemed unclean. You couldn't even see anyone who was healthy. But we have a better understanding of it now. Leprosy is a disease of the nervous system, and it affects your ability to feel pain. So in worst case scenarios, you can leave, lose fingers and toes, hands and feet. You can lose entire limbs due to unnoticed wounds and repeated injuries. Again, unnoticed wounds and repeated injuries. Leprosy is when one body part suffers isolated from the rest of the body, and it wreaks havoc on the body. But you know the good news you read the Gospels, Jesus heals lepers again and again, nearly a dozen in the Gospels. In the same way he could feel physical leprosy, he can heal spiritual leprosy in the body of Christ. But if the answer to the question, does it pain us, is yes, the follow-up question is quite simply, how 
do we find healing in the world around us? You know, these seasons, I think we all drift to, to sometimes frustration, sometimes helplessness, because you're thinking, what, what do we do? What can we do? How do we spark change? And man, simply, practically, first of all, we can seek reform. Like, think of Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. We need some Jeremiah 29 to seek peace and welfare of the city and the nation that God has placed us in this side of heaven. And we need some Isaiah 1.17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And yet for all of that truth, and it's straight out of the, the, the word of God, I think of the lyric from one of my favorite songwriters, Dustin Kensrue, where he says, we can't medicate man to perfection again. We can't legislate peace in our hearts. We can't educate sin from our souls. It's been there from the start. What do we need to deal with that pervasive sin? What do we need in the church? Yes, we should seek reform. And then here in the church, we should get on our knees and seek revival. Because yes, we should seek reform and reconciliation, man to man, people group to people group out there. But we had to bear in mind that horizontal reconciliation between one group and another throughout history in our nation and in the world has been so elusive because we forget we need vertical reconciliation with God. That comes first. That without that, without the heart change from the inside out, uprooting the sin of racism and the systemic issues that flow from it, it's just going to prove pervasive and elusive again and again. And that reconciliation with God is made possible through Jesus. So one thing doesn't change. We make much of Jesus. Because here's the truth about Jesus, who it says in Philippians 2, forsook his privilege. That's another sermon for another time to become fully man. Jesus knows about suffering. He knows about injustice. Jesus knows about racial tension. Jesus knows about being wrongfully treated, even wrongfully killed. Jesus knows how to show mercy to criminals. Jesus knows our weaknesses. He knows how to sympathize with us. Jesus knows about living in a wicked world. Jesus knows about dying at the hands of wicked men. But lastly, he knows about the glories of heaven where God himself will wipe away every tear there is diversity and no racism. There is no chronic pain. There is no death, no mourning, no crying. He wipes away every tear. That's what's ultimately waiting for us. But before we leave this building or before we log off tonight, we, the body of Christ, we've got to be courageous enough to realize we have a call and a part to play in the hurt around us. We, the body of Christ, we have to realize that we've been called and commissioned out of this life that's sheltered in place, quarantined by our comfort zone. And I think so often the reason we punt the Great Commission and think witnessing is too much, evangelism is too much, because we think we need a microphone or a megaphone, or we need to be eloquent, or, or we need to be extroverted. But man, I'll tell you that some of the most dynamic witness and power of the good news comes when the world is forced to sit up and take notice that people are loving each other in ways that it can't account for in its worldview, its limited worldview. And all of that is present when the body of Christ is healthy, when it's got unity, diversity, and empathy. So may we seek unity in diversity through empathy, especially in this season. And may we step out of this building tonight reminded of the work that's outside of those four walls. And God, in closing, 
We pray. We pray as you taught us to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your, earth be, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to be a church and a people that's, that's more focused on bringing your kingdom here to earth than we are concerned with getting to heaven. That's assured. <laughs> the, the blood of Christ has paid that, and it's never being taken away. So help us to shift our focus from that to the harvest fields. The work that Ephesians 2 says that you prepared for us to do, not just in this building, but outside those four walls. And God, when we see it, may we have the heart of Isaiah that said, here I am, send me. No longer quarantined by our comfort, but fueled by our commission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you don't have to leave, but you got to get out of here because we're going to wipe this place down. We're going to clean it up for the churches that meet here tomorrow. We love you guys. Uh, you guys can uh, congregate in the, in the parking lot, but again, we just got to clean up in here. So I look forward to the day I can see your full faces again. But until then, we'll see you.